0: to Power Athlete Radio. This week, we're featuring some of our favorite clips from past guests and a few of our most memorable stories to date. Um, also, if you like the music you hear throughout the podcast, please head over to Spotify and search Power Athlete HQ. But not just yet, of course, because the fun is just about to begin. This is the best of Power Athlete
1: Radio.
2: This is Power Athlete
1: Radio, with your hosts, Denny Caves, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, pose forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas.
3: It's time for Sonalic Bombs.
0: Off with a story from Dr. Tom Incladon, who's a really good buddy of John's and subsequently a really good buddy of Power Athlete HQ. But he's uh, a really entertaining guy to hear tell stories. He has story after story of working with really famous or infamous athletes and strong men and weightlifters. And the thing about Dr. Tom is um, he's very unassuming. So he is not even fully aware of the famousness or the celebrity of these people. Uh, which makes it all the more fun and makes him all the more of a humble guy. Here is him telling the story of learning to roll a frying pan with Bill Kazimer in a Walmart. It's from episode
4: 31.
3: Okay, so first, um, I, I was... Um... We were in, I think, uh, Spokane, Washington, Spokane. and it was Ennisley, Con- Spokane. Thank you. Because so you know, when it comes to geography and time, I'm like the most ignorant guy on the planet. And,
2: and uh, so, oh, well, and 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 also with knowing who athletes are, I remember Tom called me once, and he's like, <laughs> it's like uh, he, he's like, I, I just got done working with this guy from the Yankees. I think they call him B Rod or D Rod or A Rod. Like yeah, 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 yeah. That's him. That's him. That's him. You're, you're, and then Tom's like, "Yeah, he's uh, uh, I, I, I think he's pretty famous, right?" I was like, "Yeah, he's pretty kind of a, a pretty big name." And he's like, "Oh yeah." And then that was the end of it. So go, go, go on about Spokane, Washington.
3: In my defense, you have to remember I worked in a room with no windows for two years. Okay, it's all I'm gonna say. I, I didn't get much outside exposure. So when um, we're in uh, Spokane, Washington, and there's this NSCA conference. And at the time, I was doing uh, strongman competitions, and uh, Bill Kassmeyer had retired. He had been retired for many years at that point. But there was uh, a couple of young guys, up-and-coming guys, that were really good. So they were doing this thing where they had these, uh, these dumbbells and they were bending rebar and they were breaking wood and stuff like that. So uh, I had just, uh, I had met Bill Kazmaier years earlier. I knew some of the other guys. So I was kind of hanging out with them. And, and what, what happened was I was sitting with a bunch of people in the audience. And then they had these uh, two 180 pound dumbbells. And the deal was they want to get someone from the audience to lift them and kind of do like a farmer's walk for a certain distance. And then if that person goes, they are going to have one of the strongman competitors do it. Well, a couple of guys get up and no one can lift the dumbbells. I mean, basically it's like 360 pounds. And when the dumbbells are that low to the ground, it is harder than like a, a standard uh, farmer's walk type of apparatus. So no one was doing it. So I jump up out of the audience, I grab the dumbbells and I run down the field. So Bill's MC seeing this and he's like, who the who, he goes, Tom, that don't count, <laughs> put them back. <laughs> so with dumbbells back, because quote unquote, I was a competitor, so I should not have been, you know, lifting the dumbbells, it was only for the other people. So then um, I started hanging out with these guys. So they have this girl, punch through this wood and it was kind of impressive I was like damn she was like a tiny girl well the wood was designed in a way that it would crack easy so now because I messed with them by running with the dumbbells Bill's gonna play this joke on me so he gets this wood that isn't as easy to crack or, or break through and I don't know how to throw a punch I was never a fighter or anything like that it's like well you hit it like this and it'll break trust me now I go and I got to punch this thing. Well, I, I break it, but I wind up uh, chipping a, a piece of a knuckle. So now I'm kind of pissed. So they're feeling bad. So like, all right, we're going to go out tonight. So we wind up going out to this bar. And so basically I walk through. No one says anything. I, I'm not like that much of a physically impressive type of guy. But now I got this uh, strongman competitor behind me. The kid's like six, seven or six, six. And the guy's like, damn. Then this other guy comes on. He's like, same height, but bigger. And the guy's like, oh, shit. And then behind, like the fourth guy behind is Bill Kazmaier. So when Bill walks through, the guy's like, what the fuck? Like Bill's head was so big, it was it was intimidating, like when he would walk through. So we're talking, drinking some beers, and Bill that day had uh, rolled a frying pan. And I have never done that. I always wanted to learn how to do it. So the next day, we went out and we were, I don't know what we were grabbing. Uh, I don't know if it was Walmart or supermarket, but we grabbed some stuff and there's all these frying pans just hanging there. And so we head over and I'm trying to do it and I can't roll a frying pan. Like, it's like you literally roll it up like a piece of paper. So Bill is showing me in the middle of the store, here's how you position it and here's how you light it up and here's how you do it. And then after that I could roll a frying pan.
0: This next story is hands down one of my favorite. As I was compiling this best of, I laughed almost as aggressively uh, hearing this story over and over again as I did when I initially heard it and Tex told it on the air. But this is the story that Tex tells about when he came home from a seminar to the place he was staying in Florida. At the time he was training with Raf in Florida and he was staying with a relatively older or seasoned woman um, which he refers to as his roommate but he came home to find her unfortunately uh, no longer with us and the way that i cope with tragedy is by laughing uncontrollably apparently uh, so it was not meant to be disrespectful but here's text telling the story and uh, my doing the doing my best not to make a mockery of uh, the situation here's text from episode 46 oh uh, yes yeah,
5: so uh, i get home late Probably about 11 p.m. I go to sleep. I got to be up at 4:30 to go to RAF and finish up about six hours later, and come home for a lunch break. And my roommate, her sisters are here going through photo albums, and they break the news to me that she had passed away on Sunday morning. So I only get an hour break before I have to be back on the clock, and it was kind of a uh, Surreal moment, I really didn't know how to take it, and then I had to go yell at some high schoolers, so it, was, it took a while to sink in, I texted Callie and Luke, and they didn't believe me. It was uh, interesting to go back coach right after that.
0: So yeah, were, you, were you close to her?
5: Uh, well, I, I've known her for a month that I've been living here, and, you know. How well do you know her? Uh, we, we spoke daily. Okay. But...
0: Like, Did you share meals? Like, like
5: you pillow you talk? Share... Uh, well, like, uh, the Callie well
1: <laughs>
5: That's so hard. And, and talk about R-rated. Well, there you go, Callie. No, and, <laughs> uh, the Olympics. The Olympics are on. You know, so that was kind of our our opportunity to just bullshit under, uh, on the couch, not on the pillow, and uh, just get to know <laughs> that I just met on Craigslist. So. Wow, Craig, that is the, <laughs> one of the more, Kelly, please, composure. She's crying. She's she's crying not of laughter. Well, that's a bummer text, obviously, but uh, you still have a place to live, right? Yeah, so I'm staying, <laughs> staying here. We work that out.
0: All right, nice. Listen, we all die. I'm not laughing because of a death. I'm just laughing because of life. Of, la- of laughter and love and happiness. <laughs> um, Anywho. Anywho.
2: <laughs> Anywho, that's awesome. Yeah, That's awesome.
5: Honestly, if it's if every weekend if it's not Tex having some sort of massive hiccup with travel. Yeah. Or it's a death. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a you know, landlord death or something. But uh, t- we call him the angel of death around here. Well,
0: I just think he's a drama queen.
3: Yeah, he's com- always complaining.
0: <laughs> always talking too much and full of drama. Dang. Tex, you take a beating, huh? <laughs> uh, I don't
5: doesn't... know what you're saying, Steve, but yeah.
0: He's, we're, uh, <laughs> so, we're
5: how, dr- we can, how we can tie this back into something productive is I still had to go on and I I'm in charge of a high school down here so it's uh, it's Northeast High School in St. Petersburg Florida just to drive across the bridge and so I had to go and yell at all these high schoolers Um, it's very interesting because I had to write those high school articles and I talked about productive strength conditioning and meeting with these guys we literally had to unlock and reorganize their weight room because it hadn't been used in four years so these guys are the worst movers in the history of athletics. And if you look at their squad, the middle school across the street could beat them. So we talk about kind of training athletes, linear progression. I cannot put them on a linear progression because they will they will get hurt and possibly die. Hence the <laughs> so, um, we talk about training diverse athletes kind of with skills uh, abilities and that's these guys and I'm finding it's challenge now dealing with different levels of motivation you know kind of a uh, a poor high school and they they don't want to be there every time I kinda walk into the track to get them warmed up they're like ah shit he's back they're back so it's uh it's kind of an interesting thing and then like I didn't have time to bask in this uh, this loss I guess and to think about it it's I gotta be on point I gotta yell at some kids and make sure they're actually executing the ship properly because, you know, they went 1-9 and nine last year. I can't imagine how bad the team they beat is. So coaching, yeah. coaching under chaos and still being effective.
0: This next one is from our conversation with Jesse Burdick, who is one of the most hilarious individuals um, I've come across in our conversations on Parathlete Radio, and this conversation led us to talk to him about the status of his tan. Um, that's correct. His The color of his skin. And he also reminds us that Mark Bell has no understanding of the term moderation, as you might expect in this world of meatheads. Um, we do tend to go over the top. Mark Bell is susceptible To that uh, all or nothing mentality, and this led him to become temporarily purple for uh, reasons that you'll find out. Also, this conversation is kind of funny because Jesse talks about his experience at Mr. Olympia and what it was like for him to, quote unquote, be like a, a normie walking among the otherwise very fringe population of overly tanned people. Enjoy this clip from episode 28
2: jesse i asked how's your tan is it looking good i mean you know tan oh, and shaved and
6: absolutely man i mean there's a for everyone who needs to know it's called melanotan too you go <laughs> out it- there dude, it up on the interwebs and you're all
2: good man dude but that's also an aphrodisiac as what i remember
6: uh, it's it's amazing it's actually like the it's it's such a great um well let's just call it a research chemical because it's a family family show um but it's remarkable it's an aphrodisiac it actually improves uh it it has a positive uh, effect on insulin sensitivity makes it tan mobilizes uh fat mass it's great man
2: yeah we we had a guy at our cert in vegas a couple years ago that literally did the entire cert without his t-shirt on i mean we were there like eight in the morning saturday morning (laughs) and this dude was just fucking shirt off and uh was not only probably like 215 220 uh like 510 511 pretty jacked uh but was also i mean not only was he shredded but he had probably the most amazing tan like like the type of tan that you would see in like a tanning salon commercial and he literally just no shirt just sat there took the whole shirt train no shirt like, didn't even bring a shirt with him for two days That's finally crazy. i i like looked at him and was like dude where the fuck did you get that tan? And he was like, Milano tan. Uh, The guy was like, my brother got diagnosed with skin cancer and they turned him on to this stuff. And his tans look so good. I figured, you know what? I'll take this stuff. And I was like, you don't have to go to Hollywood to get a Hollywood tan because that thing is unbelievable. So It is. It's,
6: it's great, and I mean, it actually, it, it was developed for, you know, positive reasons, and I mean, just like most stuff, you know, then idiots like us get a hold of it and turn it <laughs> into something else. But, you know, this is for people who actually are just very pale and who are very, you know, it's not necessarily overexposure to sun that gets people, you know, some sort of skin cancer. It's just, it's a reburn. So people who are very white, very pale and keep getting this burn and burn and burn. That's when your body, you know, negatively reacts to um you know, to the sun, so people in you know like the Nordic region, you know I mean way up in Iceland, up into you know the Arctic Circle, etc. You know they developed this so they would be able to take something so when they would have exposure to the sun because they go like what like six or nine months without seeing the sun, and then get yeah, you know and anything that they get it's going to burn them and then therefore cause them some adverse effects.
2: They're, they're, <laughs> I think there are more tanning salons in like Norway and Sweden in there than anywhere, and uh you know those guys are it's pretty hilarious. When we were in Norway or in Sweden, rather, they, they had like their very first sunny day and like literally, man, there were like people like everywhere laying out. And the funnier <laughs> part is they were like, this is our first sunny day. Everybody was tanner than hell. I mean, everybody's way more tan than me. And I was like, this is the first sunny day. It's like, no, dude, everybody goes to the tanning salon all day long, man. This is Absolutely. like, like, like you have to, or you're going to be going into the post office with a machine gun.
6: Yeah. It's funny though. I was, we were at a we, bell and I were going somewhere to do a seminar and bell loaded up on the stuff early. And, um, took way too much. And, um, what's interesting about that stuff is if you don't manage it properly or you take more than you normally would, you can like change colors like four or five times during the day. So he took it and he gets this big rush and kind of turned this like really dark tan. I was like, Whoa, dude! What the hell? And then he like got exposed to sun, and he went like this black purple. And then it calmed down again. And we went back out in the sun, and he <laughs> went black purple again. And then it calmed down. I was like, What is going on with you? He's like, I think I just took way too much of that. The the Milano <laughs> tan. It's 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 killing me, man.
2: Dude, he <clears throat> uh, I I saw the pictures from the Olympia. His tan was looking on point. I was actually gonna comment. I was like, Either he bought himself a tanning salon or a tanning bed in the house, like uh, uh American Psycho style. <laughs> or
6: he found a better way to do it. Uh, it's just so much a better, easier, uh, more controlled way to do it that, uh, with Milanotan. And you know Compared to everybody else, he looked well, I, there's no place to go to feel better about yourself um, in so many different ways, but like a trade show, like the Olympia or like the, uh, Arnold classic, I felt so normal and like good looking and just awesome. Mm-hmm. Just seeing some of the freaks just walking around. It was just, it, it's just amazing. Um, and bell looked like above normal compared to what was kind of walking around at the Olympia.
0: This next one's with Jared Allen, and this is our episode with him. And John and he had a great time reminiscing at what it was like to live together as roommates and train together and play together. And it was kind of fun to listen to. Jared Allen is one of the most laid-back, uh, kindest guests to date. And their cohabitation seemed like something between, like, a dorm room situation and... Obviously, that element of being a professional athlete, uh, so there were some unusual purchases being made, and here they are in episode 55.
5: I left the league of sacks that year, and all that good stuff. We had fun, too,
1: so.
2: Yeah, uh, every Friday, I would always lift weights, and then Jared would um, go and usually buy something ridiculous, so I'd come home, and he'd be like, I got a guitar hero! he fucking <laughs> play guitar hero. And then it'd be like we got the fucking band, and we would just play stupid shit. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was pretty. It was pretty. It was pretty funny, dude. I mean, yeah. just the, the fact that we were talking about home, buying something ridiculous. It, it, it was probably at the bargain basement. It wasn't like anything cool. It was just ridiculous, like Nerf guns, water pistols. <laughs> uh we also had feet in pajamas. Remember that. <laughs> what was that? Remember, I oh. peed in pajamas. Oh, you gotta have yeah. footy pajamas, dude. With the trap doors. No, there's pajamas. only one way to go with that. Yeah, dude, Jared's like, dude, I found this guy that'll make custom and pajamas. They're only like two hundred dollars. So I got like five sets. I'm like, sounds like great bargain, you know. I'm like, yeah. I'd be like, how much you want for fucking and pajamas? So I pay those. I buy those things for like three dollars a piece at Carter's because my kids. Yeah, get it. I
3: was too. Uh, I, was, I was too cheap to uh, to buy a new car, so I had an old I had an old hunting jeep that didn't have a top, and so, <laughs> to where like snow, snowmobile gear,
5: driving to work every morning, unless I could ride with John uh, in his Bronco. It was great.
2: Yeah. And I had a top and my Bronco actually, uh, ended up taking a shit on me because a, a mouse crawled up in the motor and ate all my wires. It was so cold that the mouse crawled inside my, my, uh, in the engine and fucking ate all my wires. I came out and the car wouldn't start. And I was like, what the fuck? So I call the dude, he like tows it, and he's like, yeah, uh, some small rodent ate all your wires. So I was like, oh, boy. So what do we do? Ah, yeah, we ship the car home and rode with Jared, and we just would suffer in uh, like the middle of Kansas City winter with no top on his car, just riding in like hoodies and freezing.
1: <laughs> you guys are all like millionaires.
2: Yeah.
5: But, <laughs> like what happens you, you get all that money and you're just like, well, fuck it, I don't want to spend it.
2: No, no. What happens is, is that initially is like kind of the deal. Like You get in and you fucking kind of go a little crazy, and then all the dudes around you go so fucking crazy that you actually end up going the opposite, opposite way. way. And you can see where they're heading. Right. Well, no, it's just like uh, this silent protest. Like, oh, you're like, like Trey Thomas, uh, who I played next to in in Kansas, in Philadelphia. He told me that. um, So we had locker next to each other. And every day I'd come in, I'd like kind of like notice, you know, like after a while, you like notice a guy, you know, always is wearing like looks like brand new clothes. You know, and I fucking buy, like, what, a couple pairs of jeans a year or wear T-shirts. I'm actually wearing the free Jared Allen T-shirt that he gave me a couple years ago. (laughs) And, uh, like, after all, you know, like, this is kind of, you know, I'm just not going to go out. Like, it's not – the thought of having to go buy clothes is more of a pain in the ass than actually fucking getting new clothes. So, like, I just don't want to have to go get them. And I noticed that I was like, God, you know what? It's been, like, two years that I've never seen Trey wear the same clothes twice and then I started noticing, like, tags on his clothes. So finally I was like, yo, dude, what the fuck? Like, he, I'm like, what is this? He's like, oh, well, I tell my wife at the beginning of every month uh, to buy 30, like, Pele Pele warm-ups and, like, different warm-ups. He would wear, like, the, you know, Sean John Pele Pele warm-ups. He's like, I tell her to buy 30 of them, and I wear a new one every single day. I said when I made it to the NFL, I was never going to wear the same clothes twice. So he would wear the same clothes. Uh, or brand new, and then he'd go home that night, throw it in a bun, she would donate it or give it away or do whatever, and he would wear new ones.
0: This next story is one that I actually told about some incidents that went down at the Mid-Atlantic Affiliate Challenge when Luke and I had flown out there to compete, and during the competition, after the very last event, some very unsavory, yes, pun intended, unsavory things occurred immediately following the last event that led to some projectile vomiting, um, well, a lot of projectile vomiting. So if you do have children in the room while you're listening to this, I suggest you remove them. This one's from episode 53. And then this thing happened and my arms started stopped working. <laughs> and so I had to put the barbell down and I ended up uh, getting them. Uh, finishing the last five and then sprinting to the end. But the funny thing is, after you do all that shit, your sprint pretty much looks like you're running in water or or quicksand or slow motion swamping. or all of those things. You're swamping, running through water and quicksand in slow motion. So my run is on video somewhere and it looks fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think my feet come off the ground. I'm just like gliding. So so anyway, after that we um we are all celebrating that this is the end, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're just happy that, you know, we're like, okay, that was a valiant effort, <laughs> and uh, go back to the tent, and after probably 20 minutes of decompressing, I go to reach for my coffee cup, which I had been drinking from throughout the day. It's a little Starbucks coffee cup, um, and I put it to my lips, and I take two giant giant, giant drinks of it, like I chug it, and as soon as it starts to hit my stomach, I realize that it's not coffee, and in uh-huh. fact, in fact, it's dip spit. Oh! And I know immediately I make eye contact with one Bobby Goodfellow. The perpetrator. The perpetrator, the perp, uh, and I just, I whimper, I whimper his name, Bobby. <laughs> and then we make eye contact he turns around he's like trying to sell a fucking shirt and he turns around just in time to see me running out the door nearly projectile vomiting on passersby Uh, I make it outside the door I vomit on the side of the building I decide to go to a different corner of the building where I have a little more privacy Uh, I vomit over there and then I go to the bathroom a family restroom and I lock it and I vomit in there some more um the most
3: disappointing part is she ran faster <laughs> <on the floor laughs> right. than in the team competition so, with her teammates.
0: By the time I was able to get my life together and fucking come back inside, I looked like I had been crying and like somebody shot my dog and I looked I looked queasy and people were like, Oh, you're sick because you you worked out so hard and I was like <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all i don't do that. I don't exercise that hard but i I did just drink about two ounces of dip spit was a super animated and very unfiltered guest who we love. And he's a good friend of John's who joined us on actually on 9/11. And at the onset of the episode, very early on, both Kyle and John were kind of discussing 9/11 and the history and after a moment of silence, Um, They went on to discuss exactly where they were, of course, on that fateful day and how the NFL responded. I'll go ahead and let Kyle tell you why he choked out his coach in the parking lot. Here he is on episode 72.
1: No, but for me, it was different. Uh, You you mentioned the player thing and... You know, the players wanting to honor the day, this and that and the other. There was a lot of players that did want that, but there was a lot of players that didn't want that, that wanted to play because of the threat from the National Football League that we wouldn't get paid. And um, so there was a lot of guys that were griping about money and all those other things. In New Orleans, we had a team meeting and uh, Jim Hazlitt, our coach, who I'm, I'm great friends with and he's still a great guy, but we butted heads at times. And one of those occasions was nine 11. And, um, we came into the, uh, you know, it was on a player's day off as you remember, John. And then, uh, then we came in to have a meeting and, uh, uh, the uh, coaches got everybody in there, all the, all the people, the staff and everybody from the organization. We had this big, huge, massive meeting and Jim Haslett, all these rumors were going around before that we were going to take off and go fly somewhere to practice with another team, actually go to Pittsburgh and practice with the Steelers because Jim Hazlitt had just come from there coaching with the Steelers and we were going to practice with them for the week off that we were going to have and, um, you know, for me, that was unacceptable. I, you know, we're going to take, uh, pick us up, take us away from our families. And, you know, we didn't understand what was going on. If there was still a threat there, if any more attacks were going to occur. And here they're talking about going right into the heart of it, back up to Pittsburgh, you know, close by where one of the planes went down. Um, you know, we're, it was unacceptable for me. I had told Jerry Fontenot and a couple of the other guys on the team that were older, that were being brought up to a, a meeting, with the coaches um, to tell them that, you know, I'm not going and that they better not decide to go because this is ridiculous. We need to stay put and we need to let this thing, you know, get figured out here first and some time to settle. And the last thing we need to do is get away and pick up from our families. Let's not think of football right now. And uh, the word came back down that we're going to Pittsburgh still. And so I was irate and we had this team meeting And Jim Haslett stands up there and he says, now I I know some of you guys are opposed to this, but I'm the coach and this is the way it's going to be. And we, you know, we've got to get our work in. We're going to fly up to Pittsburgh and we're going to practice with the Steelers uh, for the week. And we're going to stay there. Your families will be fine. They'll stay down here. And I just, had enough right in the middle of him saying that I just slammed my hands on the table, stood up on top of the desk and, uh, threw a banana right past his ear into the wall behind him that exploded. And I said, I'm not going to Pittsburgh motherfucker. You're going to Pittsburgh maybe, but I'm not. And I don't know that anybody else in here is, you guys can all go. If you want, you guys are bitching about your money. You're bitching about this. Fuck y'all. I'm going to join the Marines. I'm out. And I jumped off the table and ran out of the room and uh, got my stuff in my locker and was heading out of the parking lot and uh, Jim Haslett and the team let out of the meeting just as I was uh, uh, coming out with my gear and he confronts me in the hallway and he says Kyle what's wrong with you and I said fuck you and I pushed him in the, to the side and uh, kicked the door open and made my way, my way through the rest of the team and uh, uh, went out to the parking lot and he turns he says to me he says Kyle what wrong with you, chasing me on the parking lot says what is wrong what after all I've done for you this and that and I was just I lost it I I turned around because I didn't know what the hell he was talking about all he did for me uh, didn't make sense you know, kick my ass in practice uh, you are talking about maybe giving me another contract which never happened I don't know what you're talking about uh, but again you're distracting from the pointed hand. So I turn around and start choking him, of course, and um, <laughs> uh, uh, big Norman hand, rest his soul, uh, grabs me and uh, picks me up and, and Sammy Knight then grabs Jim Hazlitt and pulls him off, away from me, and um, uh, I go sit in my car for a while, and they tell me to cool down, and they have the security guys and all that there calming me down, and they all go back in and have another meeting with the brass, and we have another team meeting, and they go, okay, we're not going to Pittsburgh now, Um, (laughs) so... (laughs) Uh, and it was funny, it was all the all the management, everybody else in the offices, they came up to me later and they said, thank you so much. We didn't want to do that. But, you know, the point was that there was so much selfishness going around uh, from the league down to the players and everything. You know, we lose sight of this day. You know, we would take it for granted uh, and what happened uh, still. I once knew a nigga whose real
3: name was William His primary concern was making a million
0: I've always kind of thought that comedians were some of the smartest people to be walking on this earth. And when we had on Eddie Ift, he only validated that. He had a lot of interesting things to say. He has a very interesting perspective as well because of his being a host of the WODcast podcast. So he comes in close contact with not only a lot of celebrities in the outside world, which is uh, the non-CrossFit world, but he does come in contact with a lot of quote-unquote elite CrossFitters. And he talks a little bit about how... um, Um, that demographic can be some of the most narcissistic people out there. And they're not even on a stage. In fact, they're just in a box. Here's Eddie If from episode 74.
7: I took a one, uh, like, I I listened to one thing in college, I think, once. And it was in a psychology class where uh, the professor told us that if you took an orange and put it on TV every day for a month, like the fruit, an orange, and then rolled it down the street... After that month, people on the street would be going, look, look, that, that, that's that orange. That's oh that God. orange. And you know, if you're going to put yourself up in front of people enough and just self-promote and promote and promote and promote, eventually people are going to be like, who is this? What are they doing? Why are they doing this? I'm so interested. I can't wait. I need to know. And that's what like the internet has become. It's like everybody's just trying to make themselves famous by... And
0: honestly, we are those people as well. No, <laughs> uh,
2: I don't think so. Yes, I, we are. No, well, I, I, that's I, why I, we're
0: not as successful as. Yeah, Andrea. well, I,
2: I, I think we just uh, want to like put out a good product <laughs> and don't really care about like, hey, here's you know, here's uh, a picture of my junk in spandex with a proverb. I mean, that's and why not... have
5: you been asking for all those pictures from me?
2: <laughs> <laughs> why have you been sending me all those pictures? <laughs>
5: I've, I've,
7: been, I've been in the entertainment business for 19 years, and I can tell you honestly, honestly, I have never, in those 19 years, seen people more narcissistic than CrossFitters. Oh, totally. No shit. Way more than any anything else. I mean, like the closest thing I can say are pageant girls. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's amazing. It's like stand-up comedians who make a living doing comedy and uh, don't aren't one one hundredth of what a crossfitter is about self promotion and putting themselves up on Instagram and Twitter and all this stuff and posting videos of themselves there was something about the crossfit world and the use of like social media and YouTube that was beyond it was like it was like a group of people found this place where they were like I need to be seen people need to see me and I've never seen a group so active
0: isn't that uh, so crazy? What I mean, I what is it? I, what, is the is it like the training that makes no, people
2: I, No, 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 I think it's like um, uh, I think it's frenzy. So I think it's like this kind of like herd mentality like if if, if this person's doing it, then mm-hmm. I'm going to try mentality. to do it. Yeah, it, it's kind of like if all of a sudden, you know, one person starts running, like if you're in a group of people, and one person starts running, other people will start moving away, like, where are we running? And I think it's just a lot of people, like, when they get into the CrossFit stuff, there's, like, certain things, like, instantly, you know, instantly you get in, you start wearing board shorts, nanos, you know, you end up with skins. It's just, like, a progression, I think, like, once all that stuff happens and then people get in shape and they kind of, like, flow into it, there becomes this idea that, like, now I have to publicize it, and, you know, with the fever of a uh, television evangelist. And then they just got to broadcast it out there. And it's, um, I mean, it's its pretty overwhelming. And, you know, the, with that becomes pretty high maintenance, Eddie. And you probably know the same stuff. I, I uh, told somebody once, I'm like, you know, I, I played with um, Tom Brady and he wasn't as high maintenance as some of these CrossFitters I've met.
7: Yeah, not e- not even close. I mean, I, I've i been with the worst. And I've opened for some massive, massive names, like on traveled with them on the road where, where they're rider, and the way they would never be anything like these cross – and it's funny because I bring the CrossFitters over to my house, and we have a lot of the top CrossFitters over to do the WODcast, and the night before I have people like Brad Garrett from Everybody Loves Raymond or Ty Pennington from Extreme Home Makeover, people who are really famous, really, really famous, and they don't come over with the attitude that the CrossFitters come over with.
0: And this last one comes to us from Dr. Squad himself, Dr. Fred Hatfield, who joined us and Uh, Towards the end started to recall a pregame pep talk that he gave to the Chiefs before they played the Raiders once and This is honestly one of the most moving speeches. I had ever heard in real time And it still gives me goosebumps to hear it over and over again So if you're looking for motivation and you need a pep talk and you need some moving words um, Use this as your go-to. I think it's uh, it speaks for itself. Here's the clip from episode 68
4: let me, let me just tell you a little bit about passion so that your listeners will fully understand where we're coming from here. I, I delivered this particular uh, talk, and it only take a minute, to, uh, to the um, Kansas City Chiefs about 25 or 30 years ago, when, right before they had a game with uh, the LA Raiders, and, and it so stoked them up, man. After the game, the guys are coming up to me and saying, man... You gotta write that down. I never heard anything like that, because they it so motivated them, and, it, and here's what it is. Passion, it's not commitment to excellence, rather utter disdain for anything less. Not endless hours of practice, perfect practice. Not ability to cope, rather the total domination of every situation in life. Not setting goals, Goals too often prescribe performance limits and it's not doing what it takes to win. Instead, it's a burning commitment to do what no one has ever done before or ever will do again. It's not the need to achieve. Instead, it's doing what it takes to exceed the bounds of mere convention. It's not the force of skill or muscle. It's the irrepressible, sometimes explosive force of will. Now, if you believe in and practice these things, then for you, winning is neither everything nor the only thing, as the great Vince Lombardi once said. If you believe in and practice these things, then for you, winning has become a foregone conclusion. But if along the way you somehow stumble, profit from the experience, then bow by the power of almighty God, it'll never happen again. (laughs) So there.
0: Well, I can't think of a better note to end it on than that. So thanks to everyone for listening to Power Athlete Radio's best of episode. And remember, if you like any of the music that you heard on today's episode, bounce over to our Spotify page. That's powerathlete-hq.